one. There it is. What I up, hit it. Nailed it. It is Monday, and we got show a it. blind blogger on the show. What are we going to talk about today? Let's find out. Shut up and sit down. The Business Bros Podcast was created for you. Learn from the business professionals who come to share their stories. Find out what's working in business and social media, what's hot and what's not, straight from the mouths of successful entrepreneurs out there doing the real work. And now, welcome to another episode of Business, business Bros. Bros. <laughs> there we go. There Woo! There Happy Monday, Ham, drop the intro. Here we go. Happy Monday, everybody. It's so good to be back in the studio, isn't it? Talking with another incredible guest. Joining us today is someone who grew up in a family of carnival owners, which I can only imagine must have been super fun as a kid, right? <laughs> Owning our carnival was not in our guest cards, however, so we found something else that worked for him. Selling carnival equipment. Makes perfect sense, but that's not the whole story or what makes today's guest special. Our guest had a long road to get to where he is today. Being a business owner is hard enough, and doing it while blind is on a whole nother level. Our guest overcame not only his blindness, but also obesity, losing over 250 pounds, and is now in the best physical and financial shape of his life. Tune in today to be inspired by an award-winning self-help author, entertaining motivational speaker, and prolific podcast guest. We're so excited to learn from and be inspired by this guest on the show today. So without further ado, joining us for What's Your Excuse Show, please welcome the blind blogger, Maxwell Ivy. Thank you, guys. That's, that's probably the closest I'm ever going to get to Renee Young. And since the since the great Howard Finkel's passed on, that ain't happening. So I appreciate that. That was really good. Well, Max, uh, thank you very much for spending some time with us on the on the program. Uh, let's just jump into some nitty gritty here. Uh, I want to know about your carnival background. That is always, uh, you know, growing up as a kid, I remember going to the circus and being around, uh, you know, that sort of lifestyle for like the price of admission in a little while. You had it around you all the time. What was that like? Uh, well, we we grew up, uh, me and my, my other cousins, we would go to school during the spring and fall. And during the summer, we would uh, meet up with the, with, the, with, the, with the adults and travel with them until it was time to go back to school again. And they would uh, either, you know, uh, put us with babysitters or if we were old enough, they would put us to work. So uh, my first job was putting the butter on the popcorn at about five years old. And from there to uh, putting the syrup on the snow cones and putting the ice in the cups and Basically doing, you know, whatever work that nobody else wanted to do or had time to do. I like to tell people the worst worst thing that I could tell my grandmother back then was I was bored or didn't have anything to do because she was going to find you something to do and you were going <laughs> to like it a lot less than doing nothing. That's so uh, true. It's so but true. The, you know, but they figured, hey, I, they, they've got this kid. He's already starting to lose a little bit of his vision. The safest place for him is where is inside one of the trailers where you know people can watch out for him and oh by the way if he happens to get to to do some work at the same time all the better so uh by the by the time i shortly after i graduated from college i went back to work with the family business i actually had a real job for three years with the internal revenue service 
working at an automated collection site in Oklahoma City, where I eventually finally got tired of people telling me how bad I was making their lives. So I decided it would be easier on my mental health to go back to making a living as a carnival owner, even though the the income was more reliable at the IRS. You know, it was a lot more money. Well, it wasn't even a lot more money. It was more money, a lot more stress. And so I actually, you yeah, found uh, you found it better to uh, put smiles on faces than tears in eyes. There you go. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I uh, was was lucky enough to spend the next fifteen years working alongside my dad and the rest of my family trying to build our small small carnival into a into a little bit bigger carnival. And when he passed away in two thousand and three, we found out that we weren't ready to keep the show going. We we managed to to uh, keep it running for about three years until a uh, a blown generator that required us to rent a generator and the uh, the increases in our insurance eventually forced us to uh, to go to into business with my uncle's carnival. And I could see very shortly after that that there was not going to be a future for me on his midway because uh, I had done the bookings for our family, but that's kind of a really personal thing that most show owners are not going to want somebody else doing that unless they've hired them to do that. Um, my games were fine games for a small midway of seven or eight rides, but you just couldn't make it on a bigger show. So I had kind of been dabbling at helping people sell rides when we had the carnival. But then after it was out of business, I was like, well, maybe it's finally time to see if I can make a profession out of this thing. At the same time, I had had a health emergency. I almost got kicked out of a motel in Portland, Vaca, Texas for peeing on their, on their bed linen. Uh, I, I went and saw a doctor and started working on my health. The first thing they did was, explained to me that I probably had sleep apnea. I was tested and I've been treated for years now with a CPAP machine. And the result was, is that by improving my quality of sleep and, you know, not passing out every night while I was, while I was asleep, I had more passion and energy and curiosity to actually do something with this idea I'd had for a while. So that the two things came together at the right time. I filed for the domain name in September 29th of 2007. The website wasn't actually online until February of 2008 because quite honestly, we didn't have the first clue how to build a website when we filed for <laughs> one. But uh, eventually I would learn about the w3c.org school, which is where you know people can go and go through tutorials and learn about how to code HTML and build websites. I should mention this was before WordPress, Wi-Fi, or Facebook when, as a blind person, I uh, obviously I couldn't use a visual editor. So my only real choice was HTML, and I went through the, the W3 school and uh, taught myself how to build my own website and did that for several years before finally switching to WordPress in 2012. So, so um, you, you mentioned how when you were young, you were, you were already losing your sight. So was that something that was progressive and, and you, you just, was it like a genetic type thing right. or was exactly. it? Exactly. I have retinitis pigmentosa, which is refer, generally referred to as RP. It is genetic. And I lost my vision gradually at first. By the time I entered junior high school, I had a big drop off in vision, which is pretty common among men with RP. We seem to have a large drop off when going through puberty. My vision stayed pretty much the same after then until I went to college. And by the time I graduated from college, it was down to what it is now, which is light perception. Uh, when I was in junior high school was when I finally had to start using a white cane. 
and had to switch to audiobooks and learning to read Braille and being taught how to navigate my way around places with the white cane. So that's, uh, but yeah, it was definitely progressive. And, you know, I've actually feel like it was beneficial to me as an entrepreneur, especially after I left the carnival business, because as you guys know, none of this stuff stays the same. I mean, it's all constantly changing and the people that succeed are the ones that are very adaptable and flexible. And over the course of a few years, I had to constantly learn new ways to do the exact same things because my vision would be changing, uh, say, on a year-to-year -year basis. And I believe that, you know, being taught from an early age that that was something I was going to have to live with has helped me online. The other thing that from those days is from my carnival background, I think really helps me a lot nowadays is uh, in the carnival business, nobody really cares about you personally. They have no interest in how you feel, uh, what may have happened to your truck generator, et cetera, between last week and this week. All they want to know is on Thursday or Friday night, can they buy a funnel cake and ride the Ferris wheel mm -hmm. and maybe win a stuffed animal? You know, so uh, in my family, we learned from an early age that, you know, you're never going to have all the resources you want, but nobody cares about that. You have to figure out a way to get to next week. That's a, that's a truth in, in a lot of different businesses in life, pretty much in general. Yet we let the, the thoughts and the comments and what other people think guide our own venture in life, whatever it is that we want to do. We don't do it because we're worried about what other people say. We have a dream or ambition or a goal. We don't seek it. We don't go after it because we're worried about what our loved ones might think or, or who we might let down or the fact that we may fail at some point. Uh, yet in your life, you've had to overcome physical, uh, setbacks as well as entrepreneurial setbacks. And yet you've managed to overcome them. You've managed to continue. You, you said you started your blog in, you know, 2008, I think you said 2008 yeah, two, website in 2008 was when it was finally online. I don't think people started telling me I had to have a blog until maybe 2010, but that's still a long time. So yeah. how do you find how do you find the the courage, the tenacity, the ability to keep going when there's so many obstacles in front of you? Well, part of it is I'm just not smart enough to quit. And <laughs> um, and part of it is uh, there's an element of fun to finding a solution to these challenges. You know, uh Elizabeth Gilbert is famous for writing the book, Eat, Pray, Love. Most people don't know that she wrote thousands of articles before that book and has written hundreds since. And she likes to say that when passion deserts you, curiosity will carry you through. So a lot of times it was just, okay, there's no real easy way for me to do this. Now, is there a way? And if there's a way, how bad am I willing to, you know, to do this? Am I willing to look stupid? You know, am I willing to fall on my ass and have people laugh at me in order to try this and see if it works? And, you know, more than a few times I've ended up on, on the ground looking up at the sky thinking, why the heck did we do that again? <laughs> but it doesn't keep me, you know, from trying the next thing because I've got I had great teachers. I've got a lot of experience. And I think that's one of the things a lot, that more people need to do more is to remember those past experiences. The problem is, is when you tell most people to remember their past experiences, they automatically gravitate to the negative ones 
instead of to the ones those times when they actually were able to overcome their their roadblocks, their setbacks, the setbacks, the feeling of overwhelm, and actually accomplish something. And of course, a lot of that happened in our younger lives before we became adults and bef before we learned to quit. You you also overcame the uh, some physical. Uh, you were overweight for a while. You you even described things like sleep apnea. I'm I'm assuming that that diagnosis had something to do with you changing the way your your physical habits were. Uh, exercise that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, that was that was a that was a beginning. Um, also exercise, and then I was eventually persuaded to go to a seminar on gastric surgery, and I didn't want to go because I felt like it was a quick fix. It was something where I was admitting failure and, and giving up. But I went to the seminar, and uh, it wasn't my doctor who gave the seminar, but my my doctor, Doctor uh, Terry Scarborough, is a great guy. Um, they explained to me that it would take work. I'd have to change my lifestyle quite a bit for it to be successful. And that less than half of the people who have a gastric procedure lose the weight they want to lose and keep it off uh, long term. It's just hard for us to change the way we live. And unless you do make those changes and make them permanent, uh, the gastric surgery isn't going to be effective. So I bought in. Uh, I'd actually I'd done a lot of things. Um, drinking more water, giving up caffeine, switching from liquids to solids, exercising a little more, changing portion sizes. And by the time I had the surgery, I'd lost 81 pounds. And the psychologist asked me, and a lot of other people have asked me, you know, Max, at that point, why didn't you just say to yourself that you could lose the weight? And my answer was very simple. I had been there before many times in my life, and something would always come along to where I would end up back where I was before and, you know, even even heavier than when I started. And I felt like by that point, I had bought into the idea of having the surgery, that that plus changing my lifestyle would make me uh, healthier. And I definitely believe that as my it's not an accident that my health has improved as my entrepreneurial uh, activities have grown. And they go, I, they go hand in hand, right? The habits that you be create in one tend to perpetuate and become habits in in the other. They're just good, positive habits that you've put into place that we're now seeing the benefits of of implementing those habits. Um, I'm gonna take a quick break here. We're gonna send James into the uh, into his insurance hams tip of the day. But when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about what is on the uh, the blogger.net. Very cool. Here we go. Ham's insurance tip of the day. Today we're talking about difference in conditions on your homeowner's policies. So I personally always find it hilarious that people who aren't from California are afraid to move here. Why? Because of earthquakes. Like for reals, guys, earthquakes? Come on. <laughs> what really plagues us here in Cali, and it happens every single year, is wildfires. We're coming up on that season right now, and we've seen a lot of companies not renewing policies that are in, in high brush or historically fire-prone areas. So to solve this gap in coverage, some companies have started issuing what's called a difference in conditions homeowner's policy, which is actually two policies. One policy is from the California Fair Plan. It's our last resort insurance provider specifically for homes in 
high fire brush risk areas. The fair plan policy protects your home in case of fire, lightning, and internal explosion, but typically does not provide coverage for anything else. So you're going to want an accompanying policy, the difference in conditions policy, that will provide liability coverage and protect your home from just about everything other than fire. Your mortgage can pay for both policies, but if you only have a California fair plan policy with coverage for fire only, your lender may not consider it sufficient. We have lots of experience at Pipeline Insurance with these types of homes, so if you have any questions or need any help, give us a call at 877-928-9994 and follow me on Twitter at InsuranceBroHam. All right, Max, I want to know about what you do on the blog. What is it, you know, in, in, in the content creation world, the idea of what am I going to talk about next is always a big topic. Everybody starts off and they're like, great, I'm, I'm going to start a blog. I'm going to start my uh, podcast. They go in, you know, 10, 12, you know, articles or, or episodes later and then writer's block or creator's block or whatever you want to call it. You know what to do. You've been doing it for, you know, many, many years now. So what do we find uh, on your blog? Well, to start with, I've made it kind of easy on myself because my blog is basically anything that happens to me or somebody I know or somewhere in the world that I can find a life lesson in, I'm going to write about it. And I actually, sometimes I make people mad especially people that are struggling with writer's block right at the moment when I say this. But to me, anybody that's having trouble with writer's block just needs to take a step back, open their mind, their eyes, and their heart, and look around them and see if they don't find 10 blog posts or podcast ideas. You know, the problem is, is that we're looking for the perfect one or we're looking for something on a particular subject that we want to talk about right this minute, like he just did with the insurance thing, which was brilliant. Because basically you guys are using your podcast to promote your insurance business while also giving out some great uh, content, some great value added to your to your listeners. I love it. Um, but to me, a podcast episode, a blog post, a book idea, they're all around us. They're everywhere. The problem for for me at this point is, you know, is picking the ones that uh, that I want to actually do something with. And as far as. There, there, there does seem to be a theme with a lot of my articles, though, is there's there's like two, I'd say there's two areas. One is the blog post about my most recent podcast episode where I do some storytelling and help people understand who the person is and why they should listen. The other ones tend to start out with something bad or, uh, or disappointing happening to Max and how he manages to navigate his way through it by the end of the article. <laughs> for... for yeah. I mean, but, but there's, okay. So, you know, when you put out something and it's you making a mistake, you falling down, you tripping, you doing whatever it is, there's a lot of vulnerability that goes into being able to, uh, share that, right? If, if you have a situation where something happens and you hurt yourself or you, you're embarrassed or whatever, for you to, uh, first of all, in that situation, you want it to like go away. You don't want it to stick <laughs> around for a while where people, you know, point a lab. You want it to be over as quick as possible. But what you're saying here is you're saying, look, that stuff happens. We learn from it. Make it part of your story. You're saying embrace it 
and realize that everybody else around you has been in very similar situations, maybe not as not to the same exact extent that you went through, but that vulnerability that your ability to share that situation is what's going to pull people in your direction. Right. It, what's, it's what makes you real and relatable. It's what sets you apart from the uh, the people that put on the slick, well-written, well-rehearsed, produce high production value podcasts or blog posts. It does make you real and it makes them feel like, well, this guy can do it. So there's really no reason I can't or to, to make sure mm -hmm. I use my own line. If Mike's can do it, then what's my excuse? So uh, and I do you know, share that stuff. And it's not just, you know, personal. When I had the website and I, and I still have the Midway Marketplace, I still help people sell surplus rides. Although right now is not a great time for that work because of Corona and the number of carnivals that are, that are sitting out of business right this minute. Same with amusement parks. But, you know, I once sold a carousel that was a quarter of a million dollars used. It was a double decker carousel. It had been sitting in storage for, two, for 10 years when I got, when I was asked to try to find it a new home. I found it a new home in 30 minutes. The sale was completed in two huh. weeks. Within 60 days, it was in Australia being reinstalled. I never got paid. I had, I lost $25,000 <laughs> that year on that ride. Now, thankfully, it didn't cost me much to sell it. Are you guys still hearing me? Yeah, we're still hearing you. All right. Um, you know, I sent him, I sent him nasty emails. I sent him nice emails. I asked about suing him and people said, you can't sue him. You don't have a contract or anything on right in writing saying he was going to pay you or how much. So I eventually just had to let that go, but I posted about it on my website. I've mentioned it to people. And as a result, the, the sale itself brought me new clients. It, it, um, pretty much established me as somebody who could find hard to place items or who could find new homes for them, which really helped the traffic to my website and people wanting to hire me. Uh, I was recognized by the mutual of home aha, aha moment and they sent me a hundred dollars cash. Uh, it was, there was a lot of positives that came out of it, but I don't hide the fact that I didn't get paid. I've shared it on podcasts. I think I've even shared it on my website uh, because one, it happened. Two, it's an important lesson because, you know, after then, I didn't even reply to emails anymore until somebody sent me, a, until I had something in writing saying they would pay me if I sold X, you know. But I managed to find the positives out of it. It um, it really improved the profile of my business. And I continue to share that story because it's, you know, how many people would overcome losing that much of a sale? I mean, at, at that time, this was like four or five years ago that probably would have represented a year's income to me. Ooh. And it was just gone like that. <laughs> but as you say, other people have been there. Other people have done business with people they thought they knew and didn't have contracts and didn't get paid or ended up spending money they didn't plan on spending. And so it's one of those things that by sharing that story, it makes me relatable to other business owners. And uh, it, it, it does help to build a bond that, that um, people will see you at your best and at your worst and decide to do business with you anyway. That's uh, that's what we call that fire moment. 
So literally on the background on the screen, I have fire going. So that's uh, that's that's uh, what what might have changed your your sound there for a little bit. But to me, this is a fire moment because this is one of those stories <laughs> where you know it, it literally could have ruined you at that point. At that point, you could have been frustrated, pissed off at the situation. You know, you could have you could have taken the writing part and turned it into a negative where you start you know putting bad Yelp reviews and sending horrible emails, and you could have used that same creativity in a negative light but you turned it around you ended up saying look let me share with you with with you you know audience what my situation is let me share with you my biggest mistake that i made in this transaction and it it like you said when people connect with you they connect with you because of a story you tell because of the emotion that you're feeling they may not have ever failed to collect payment on a carousel, but there are a number of times they've worked in a business where they where they weren't able to collect a commission or they weren't able to, you know, they delivered a product with no payment being made. That kind of connection you, you've been able to make with a lot of different people. And because you've connected at that point, because you were able to be vulnerable, it's opened up a number of other doors um, and maybe not entirely 100% direct, but again, it's it's the ability to connect with your audience is what's going to set you apart in this blog space, in this podcast space, where you're able to say, hey, I'm, I've been there. I've done that. I've made that mistake. Let me yeah. show you my lesson and, my, and what I learned from it. Yeah. Now, I will be honest enough to admit that when I found out a few years later that um, the fellow I had done business with fell on some hard times and was... Uh, investigated by the Internal Revenue Service. No, I had nothing to do with that. Um, <laughs> had his had his bank uh, had his bank account seized. Had his car dealership uh, his used car dealership in trouble. No, I did not know it was a used car dealership at the time I started working with him. But it was just I, I'm honest enough to admit that when I heard that he was on hard times, it, I'm not saying that I cheered or that I smiled, but it's like okay, there's a little bit of justice in this world. You know, it's kind of how I felt about it at that moment. It's karma, Max. It's now, karma, man. Now, I don't, now I don't... my brother, now my brother did a dance in the front yard, but you know, he, me and him are different cats, you know, <laughs> but that's okay. Look, you know, and it's, it's funny because I, I use something very similar. Like my, I love to tell people I told you so it's like one of my favorite things to do. And I know it's okay. kind of asshole-ish. I get that. I completely understand that. But when you tell me I can't do something and then I go out and show you that I can do it. I want to be able to say, look, I told you I could do it, right? I I'm your huckleberry. Exactly. I'm your huckleberry, <laughs> right? I want to, that's, 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 I love to do that. So I, and, and there's sometimes where you feel my, maybe it's a little uncomfortable. You didn't want to do a dance, but you know what? You continue to put positivity in the world and positivity will find its way to you. If you continue to do bad things to people, those things will always come back to haunt you. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but it'll come back and it'll bite you when you least expect it. So, you know, and, and yes, you don't want to wish bad things upon people, but, you know, I, I think it's, you know, that's one of the reasons why I do good because it's the right thing to do. Not because, you know, somebody's looking, you do the right thing yeah. because it's the right thing. Yeah, yeah. My, my editor, uh, Lorraine, regularly at uh, Wording Well, who's helped me with my books so far, she likes to say, you know, Max, you get into more shit than any one person I've ever known in my <laughs> lifetime, but you've always managed to get out of it, and, and then you show up with a great story as well. And I'm like, okay. Every every fall has a story. My, my son was like, 
I don't know, five years old, he was riding his bike and he fell off the bike and he, he got a cut in his elbow and he's like looking at it and he's like horrified because there's blood and everything else. And, and then all I told him, and would, which is funny, it worked. I was like, look, that <laughs> scar is now a story. Like you will, for every single scar, look, I have a scar here. I have a scar here. I go, each one of these is a story. This gets to be your story. So you can, you can tell it how you want to tell it. And you were going up a, you know, on your bike on a big hill. I mean, it wasn't that big. It was a little small hill, but you, when you're, when you're five, everything's big, right? This yeah. is your story, your triumph story. And guess what? When you fell down, you got back up and you kept going. So, you know, we all fall down and you might get into a lot of shit, Max, maybe more than other people. But the only reason why I think you get in more is not that you actually get in more. It's just you're willing to share the stories that you get into. The, the, why do we fall, Bruce? So we can learn to pick ourselves up. Exactly. Right. So you can learn yeah, to pick yourself you know, back up. You know, this this reminds me of an experience when I was in New York City the first time in 2016 as one of the Amtrak Writers in Residence Award winners. Um, I'm going to I'm going to drop that expression into everything I do for the rest of my life. So sorry about that. Um, I, I was at Rockefeller Center ice skating and doing my best just to make it around the rink once. And I fell for the second time. And after I was standing up again, I told the skate guards, I said, dang, we should have got some pictures. And they go, why do you want why would anybody want pictures of themselves laying on their ass on the ice? I said, because when we pair that with the pictures of me standing up again, it would be a story. That's right. And, That's and right. he said, and he says, okay, the next time you fall down, we'll take the pictures. And you know, I never fell again. I even <laughs> thought about falling on purpose, but I just couldn't bring myself to do it. That's a pain in the ass if you don't want one. <laughs> All right, Max. Uh, I've gotten to know you for uh, 29 minutes here. We're going to do a segment called Two Truths and a Lie. Now, with the stories you have, I think it's going to be very hard to decipher the lie, but here we go. All right. I don't know. I think I got this one. You think so? I don't know. Yeah, we'll yeah. My record, my record hasn't been great, but uh, I think I got this one. <laughs> All right, Max, here we go. All you got to do is tell us three things. Two of those are going to be true. One of them is going to be a lie, and James and I are going to uh, try to use some, uh, some, I don't know, intellect in the last uh, half hour that we've met you to decipher which one is a lie. Yeah, this is one of those times I really wish I had read the memo. Um, <laughs> okay, let's see. I, I am... An Eagle Scout. Um, I have sung on Broadway, and uh, I got to think of another one that's uh, that's a lie. Um, three things. And I'm actually scared. To, I'm actually scared to hear the sound of my voice. <laughs> All right. Well, let's see. Well, and I'm a very you, bad liar. That one's just, I'm throwing that one in for free. <laughs> That's a truth. <laughs> that was a truth. That was a truth. Hey, <laughs> when you got good stories, you don't have to make stuff up, man. The, the truth <laughs> is often more interesting. Um, let's see. Well, I, I think it's going to be the, uh, the one he said was going to be a lie. <laughs> yeah, I think, so, I think so. I, I think, think he, I think he yeah, you forewarned us a little bit. Being afraid of the sound of his own voice. Yeah. <laughs> so is, is that the lie? No, that's actually the truth. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that was good. I, that was good. I didn't think you had it in you.
<laughs> um, I, when you guys when you guys send me the link to this interview, I will post it, but I will probably only listen to just long enough to 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 make sure that I've grabbed the right file. I mean, I don't listen to my past uh, speeches. I don't listen to myself unless I have to when I've when I've sung in public in the past. It's just it's just one of those things. I don't care for the sound of my voice. It's it's not as bad as it was in the days of tape recorders when everybody sounded horrible. But it's just one of those things. I just don't enjoy listening to my own voice, and I rarely do it unless I have to. All right. So then uh, which one was the lie? Was the Broadway one the lie? Yeah, that was the one that was the lie um, because I, I had the opportunity. I thought about, you know, I would if I thought about doing it outside one of the theaters and, and you know, risking going to jail and, and maybe having a viral moment. And when <laughs> I got home, I decided, you know, that would have been the smart thing to do, but I just couldn't do it at the time. Um, but I am an Eagle Scout. I'm one of the few uh, blind Eagles. I got mine in August of, of 1984. Wow. So awesome. Eagle Scout. And uh, as a podcaster, it's going to be tough to get away from not hearing your own voice, Max. I just I just wanted to <laughs> forewarn you there that that's kind of a... Well, I've been, I've been getting away with it for a while, you know? I mean... Occupational I, hazard. I just I just <laughs> keep it to a limit. You know, if I have to listen to, to my latest interview to remind myself of what goes in the show notes, I can do that. But I mean, that's where the fast forward and the rewind button help. I could you know, <laughs> listen to the guests and what they said more. You know, it's a, uh, I'm not as uh, the funny thing is, is I'm really I'm really cool with it live. Like if I have the mic in my hand, I have no trouble hearing my voice, but I just don't like listening to my voice when it's played in back replay. to me. Yeah. <laughs> After yeah. the fact. After and the that fact. May, and, and some of that may just be, you know, I just feel like, okay, we did that. We done that. Um, there's no reason to do that again. Let's do something else. So fair enough. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, well, first of all, Max, thank you for being on the program. I had a great time uh, getting to know you. On the screen, I have uh, Max's Instagram and his website. So the follow uh, on his Instagram, at The Blind Blogger, and you can go to find out more about his blog and his podcast at the website, theblindblogger.net. Check it out. I mean, Max, you got some, you've got got to share a few stories with us here. I can imagine 10 years worth of stories and the shit you got into and stepped in and, and got across, fallen down, got back up. All those different stories I'd imagine are, are on that uh, blog, uh, on your blog and on your podcast. So uh, go check it out, ladies and gents. Be part of that, uh, that story. Uh, Max, again, thank you for your time. Uh, any last minute uh, outros you want to you wanna pitch here? Um, I offer a course where I teach people how to, uh, overcome their, their fears and become a great podcast guest at the blindblogger.net slash eight weeks, the number eight. And when it comes to the people out there, uh, no matter how small, find something every day that you can do that will get you closer to your goal. And to me, the most important thing we could do is we could ask for help. We can let other people help us on our way to our journey. Me personally, I wouldn't have come as, come this far in the time period that I've been by myself. There's been a lot of people that have been part of my story. Some of them are happy to be to when they when they hear their names in my story. Some of them wish that they had been left out. But um, without all these people that have come along on the journey, it wouldn't have been as enjoyable. It would it wouldn't have happened as quickly as it has. And uh, I've I think one of the most important lessons I can teach people is. 
Never be afraid to ask because when you refuse to ask, you rob the other person of the joy they would have gotten from helping you. And you know what? People do want to help. People, yes, they I, do. I believe most people are good. Most people want to extend that hand and, and help out. And if you don't give them the opportunity, you're exactly right. Failing to ask is failing to give them the joy in, in being of service to other people. So yeah. uh, well said, Max. All right, ladies and gents, I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Uh, we will be back tomorrow, 4 p.m.-ish sharp. As Until always. next time, peace. Bye-bye. And we're out. Thank you for listening to the Business Bros Podcast. Are you looking to get more clients or to increase your income? Hernan, the Business Bro, can help you generate referrals through the power of podcasting. And James, the Insurance Bro with Pipeline Insurance, can help you effectively add insurance to your existing business. If you are ready to create wealth today and generational wealth for tomorrow, email businessbros at csfirst.com to schedule a free consultation or join the Business Bros Network, www.businessbros.biz.